Welcome, everyone. The Bastards are back for this Monday edition of the podcast. We are brought to you in part by the Minute Media Podcast Network. The Red Sox just wrapped up a four-game set with the Texas Rangers winning it four games to nothing. They are still in last place in the American League East, one game under 500, and seven and a half games back of the third wild card spot. Win four in a row, they only gained a half a game. <laughs> oh, baby. Quick disclaimer, as always, for any first-time listeners, this is not a Homer podcast. We call it how we see it. When the Red Sox are dominating, we will celebrate that. When they are getting destroyed, we will be critical and at times savagely blunt. If you are easily offended, press the stop button immediately. But for those who embrace it, let's get rolling. I am Terry Cushman coming to you from Myrtle Beach, South Carolina by way of Wyndham, Maine. You can find me on Twitter at CushmanMLB. You can find the podcast account at Bastards underscore Boston. Joining us tonight from the city of Canton, Massachusetts, Jason Kelly. Jason? Yeah, doing pretty well. I just wish that uh, we had more of these four-game sweep podcasts to do earlier in the season, like in June and July when it really mattered and the team needed it. Um, but you know what? I'll take him in September. It's a fun series, fun four-game sweep. The Texas Rangers are a joke of an organization. I feel so bad for anyone who's a Texas Rangers fan because uh, newsflash, it's probably not going to get any better anytime soon. Sorry about that. Um, but yeah, fun four-game sweep. Always loved that. And um, again, just wish it happened earlier, but I'll take it. You know what? Just give me good baseball at this point. Corey Seager signed a $325 million deal with the Rangers. I think that's over 12 years. Don't quote me on that part. Uh, and then Marcus Simeon, seven years, $175 million. So exactly a half a billion dollars on two players. And I don't know if they're in last, but they're actually they're probably in fourth ahead of Oakland. But, um, you know, for the money, underperforming big time. So previous GM got fired a couple weeks ago. New one's going to have quite a mess on his hands uh, when he gets there. Uh, and where can they find you on Twitter, Jason? Oh, yeah. If you want to come yell at me on Twitter, um, it's I'm at Color of the Iris on Twitter. So you can come heckle me there. Very good. Also joining us tonight from the city of Providence, Rhode Island, Charlie Smith. Charlie? What, what's going on? Happy to get a sweep, but uh, I think it's one of those things where you're facing the Rangers, so temper expectations. I, you know, Great that we won, but still, it's the Rangers, like you said, Jason. Absolutely. And uh, where can they find you on Twitter, Charlie? Smith underscore mlb is where you can find me better to chat me than talk to me because right now my mouth hurts two shows in a row i remember to get the twitter handles out there so even i'm cleaning it up in september so i'm pissed okay everyone thinks it's cute that we're winning games all of a sudden okay 
they needed to be winning games in August. Okay, so there's not much joy. I guess we're going to talk about some young guys that did some stuff. Okay, I do find a little bit of joy in that. But um, aside from that, it's just the the only people that have a dog in the fight right now is the Bluminati because they need us to finish minimum at 500 or better. So they, they're tuning in for that. You know, the rest of us were like, what difference does it make? 75 or 85? Not that they'll win 85 at this point, but uh, I'm just so annoyed with this team. And, uh, you know, I'm kind of prepared to be annoyed for most of the winter as well. But we'll get into a lot of uh, stuff. They did win the series, so we will do the weekend top five. I feel like it's been a little while since we've had to do the weekend shit list, at least a couple of weeks. But um, so for at least the second week in a row, we'll get into the weekend top five. So we will start in the five spot. Jason, you got him. Who is it? Yeah, in the number five spot is Connor Wong. Um, so again, one of the young guys that you just mentioned who – Came up recently and, you know, I played two out of the four games in the series and the numbers don't jump off the page. He went one for five, you know, hit a huge pass in his first game. Um, just an absolute crusher of a home run. And then, you know, in today's game, you know, only had one official at bat because he walked three times. So not the worst, you know, not the worst thing to see out of a guy who's uh, playing catcher and, Look, that's a position that the Red Sox need to address going forward. Christian Vasquez is gone, and I'm sorry. Like, don't sell me on the, well, he might come back. You know, it's not going to be the John Lester situation all over again. Vasquez still loves his city, and he loves his team. He might come back. Bullcrap. Okay, I, like, I, I don't – I think once you trade a guy, you poison the well, and you, you make it really hard to bring that guy back. So, you know, some of you people have not learned – from the, from the John Lester era, I have. I don't think Christian Vasquez is coming back, okay? So you're looking at potentially not maybe not your starting catcher, but at the very least, one of the members of your catching platoon next year because the Red Sox need to get something out of Connor Wong. He was a piece of the Mookie Betts trade, and whether people want to hear this or not, Every GM wants to be proven right on a big trade that they make, high and bloom included. So he wants to prove that Connor Wong is a major league everyday catcher, or at the very least is a major league competent, can play the position, at least play half the season at catcher. Because otherwise, all he has to show for the Mookie Betts trade is Alex Verdugo. And Alex Verdugo is a good player. We, we all like Alex Verdugo, but he's a doubles hitter. Doubles hitter, high batting average, not a ton of power, decent defensively, but that's about it. So trust me, Connor Wong's going to get a lot of playing time going forward. And what he showed you this weekend was pretty good. You know, he showed you a good arm behind the plate. He showed you he can throw runners out if he needs to. Um, he's a good hitter at least at this stage i think he can still improve he's got raw power and the fact that he can take walks and has a little bit of plate discipline that's also really good i mean that's something that bobby dalbeck never had so you'll take it um 
look, I don't know how Connor Wong's going to be if he plays full time. If he's your starting catcher going into next year, am I super confident? No. I still want them to go and get a veteran upgrade over Kevin Plowecki so that you have a good catching tandem going into next year and that the weight of the world isn't on Connor Wong's shoulders. But so far, I like what I see. I think he's a good athlete. I think he's got a good head on his shoulders. So I just hope they keep playing him. You know, keep giving him more starts behind the plate. See what you got there. Don't do what you do with Blake Swihart. Don't throw this kid around into different positions. Don't screw around with him. Just keep him behind the plate and see what you got there. Because apart from him, you don't have like you don't have a Joey Bart coming up. You don't have a Luis Camposano coming up through your system. This is it. This is the next big guy. So see what you got there, and hopefully he shows you something. Charlie? Yeah, I mean, uh, they were talking about how Connor Wong was doing some major work against AAA, and he hit a he hit a home run off of a AAA pitcher. AJ Alexi's a nobody. Like, let's not pretend like he, he just absolutely ripped the cover off the ball off of you know, peak Aroldis Chapman. That's not going to happen. Um, and to Jason's credit, he's absolutely right. Every GM does want to be proven right for big contracts, big deals that they make, and this is going to be one of them. Forever, he will be known as part of the Mookie Betts trade. He won't be known as just Connor Wong. He will be known as the guy that got traded for Mookie Betts, along with Verdugo and Jeter Downs. Um, I was really impressed with the three walks that we saw in the the last game of the series. Uh, very seldom do you see a guy that has Juan Soto-esque plate discipline. When you walk three times in a game, you clearly see on the, seeing the ball like really well, and he was doing a great job. So if he can keep this up, I, I'm okay with him being part of a one-two tandem as far as catcher is concerned in Boston. Um, I would like to see Vasquez come back, but we'll see what happens. One thing that's interesting to me, I, I'll start off by saying I, I agree with Jason. I, I don't think Vasquez is, is coming back. But one thing that I would love to know, and unfortunately we're never going to know, is what were the returns on a potential Nathan Avaldi trade and uh, a potential J.D. Martinez trade? Like, what were the best offers? Because... I know JD was in a slump and I know Evaldi, his health hasn't been great, but for what it's worth, Evaldi did pitch very well the night before the deadline against the Houston Astros, a team that any American league playoff contender would be concerned about is the Astros. A lot of people in the last week have been saying Astros are the, are the world series favorites. So the reason why I'm asking that is Christian Vasquez is a is a net positive for any team but is he a cornerstone of that team he's going to not really and we still got a really good return and why i'm questioning this is was that part of the motive if bloom trades him it's a lot easier to to not bring him back versus vasquez finishes out the season and then you you're not interested at all so Hein Bloom has a little what a little over a month or so to to make 
Connor Wong make sense for next year. And the good news is Wong's had a pretty good year in in Worcester. In only 81 games, he's hit 15 home runs. That's on pace for 30 at the big league level. He Would he hit 30? Probably not. But would he hit 20-something? It's very possible. He hit one this series, as Jason said. Uh, he... He also, uh, down in Worcester, hit 288 and had uh, an on-base percentage of 349. And his three walks in the series finale today kind of speak to this guy might have an ability to, to draw a lot of walks. So I'm super curious. And another reason I don't think Vasquez is coming back is because the catcher position is just such an easy position for the Red Sox to save a lot of money. I don't think they're going to want to go over the luxury tax again next year. It would be the second year in a row. That's when the penalties start to, to hurt a little bit. Uh, tons of money's coming off the books. And if you don't want to invest a lot at catcher, I think a potential Wong and McGuire tandem would probably work out with Connor Wong getting at least three out of every five starts. Ultimately, the starting rotation next year will probably dictate who starts more, but you know, due to their preference and comfort level and chemistry. Uh, now, if Wong's off the charts, does that force him into some other games? It could, but I think I think we've seen the end of Vasquez. And from what I can tell, the Houston Astros seem to love Vasquez. So maybe. Maybe Vasquez might end up being fine with Houston. I, we haven't seen anybody go to Houston and hate being there. So um, so those are my thoughts on Wong. Any, anything else for we? Yeah, I, sort of like you mentioned. I mean, the Heim Bloom has a big decision coming up this offseason when it comes to Xander Bogarts and potentially Rafael Devers, too. Um, he may have to shovel out a lot of money. So like you said, why would you overextend yourself financially to bring back Christian Vasquez if you've got Reese McGuire and Connor Wong, which to me, that's a pretty decent catcher tandem. I, I don't hate it. And again, Connor Wong, it's a very limited sample size what we've seen so far. But if he is not a complete disaster and kind of shows that he can you know, hang at the major league level for the rest of the month, why wouldn't you go with that? It's a much cheaper option, and it kind of gives Bloom a little bit more breathing room if he does need to you know, give Xander Bogarts and Rafael Devers big contracts in the offseason. So I agree. Like I, I think financially it just it makes a ton of sense to stay cheap but like not lose a ton at the catcher position at the same time. And real quick, actually, I also want to point out Connor Wong has never really sucked at any level, like there's never been any real red flags outside of maybe defensively, you know, behind the plate from an offensive standpoint, Connor Wong has been a plus player basically all the way through the minors. So it's just a little bit frustrating that we've got Kevin Ploiecki who can't hit to save his life. I think he did have one good, I think one game in the last series, he was three for four. But 
a bad offensive player and a guy who typically does not hold base runners. And I saw the loyalty to that guy, you know, does a guy like Connor Wong a huge disservice because he could have been helping the team, uh, you know, a lot sooner than September. And he was up for a cup of coffee in, I think, May, somewhere around there, and um, did pretty well. I think Avaldi was one of the guys who pitched to him, and it was a great start for Avaldi. So just wanted to throw that out there. Charlie, who do we have at number four on the weekend top five? So number four, we have Trevor Story. Trevor Story appeared in three of the four games, finally back after a, I'd love to say, brief stint on the IL. But after having a hand injury, this is someone who came back and literally went six for 13, doing his job, had a home run, four RBIs, a couple of strikeouts. He's back. Ladies and gentlemen, I mean, I'm curious to know where this team would have been if JD forgot how to hit and Trevor Story wasn't injured. Um, I don't know if we're going to have as many negative Nancys supporting the Red Sox, to be completely honest. But uh, the fact that Trevor Story is back is great news for the Red Sox. It's great news for him. Uh, This is somebody who is coming back and he's trying to hit home runs and steal bases again. He's trying to be a 2020 guy with like six minutes left in the season, which is wild. But that just goes to show you his character. He's he's 100% all about it. Like, I'm going to play out this contract. I'm going to work every single day that I can possibly do what I need to do. And he progressively got better in each game. That's the other thing. You go one for five, couple strikeouts. Two for four, two doubles in RBI. Three for four, a single, a double, a homer. He's starting to build and ramp back up. Again, tempering expectations. This is the Texas Rangers that we're, we're talking about. But still... Really, really happy that uh, he was able to kind of come back out of his shell and do the things that we've looked forward to seeing him do. It's just great that I don't have to face him in fantasy baseball this week because he destroyed me earlier this year, uh, the week that he had six home runs in like four minutes. It was insane. But super happy that he's back. Uh, it, just incredible. Yeah, it was nice to see the power come back, um, immediately homering, you know, hitting a double and, and, you know, getting that extra base hit. The defense came back. He made a really nice snag today. Um, you know, it, I don't think the Red Sox have lacked defensively at second base since he's been gone. Christian Arroyo has done a pretty good job over there, but Trevor Story is just such a freak athlete that he gets to a lot of balls that even an above-average second base like Christian Arroyo can't do. And I thought it was interesting that, you know, you look at Saturday's game, and Tony Maz made a really good point. He's like, you know, I, I like this infield setup of Arroyo at first, Story at second, Bogarts at short, Devers at third. And then Tristan Costas comes up today, and all of a sudden it's you got Costas at first, Story at second, Bogarts at short, Devers at third, supposedly going forward. And all of a sudden, you kind of have a nice problem there if you're the Red Sox. You have too many infielders who are good, who are, you know, in Story's case, he's good defensively. I know the bat has taken a little bit of time for him to get there, and, you know, maybe it's dropped off a little bit from his time in Colorado, but if he's healthy and you give him a full season, maybe it's a little bit better. Christian Arroyo, you know, again, injury problems have plagued him his whole career, but – He's been hitting like a monster lately and, you know, plays a pretty good defense as well. 
So all of a sudden, you know, with Costas coming up, that's your top prospect. You have to give him every day at bats, which Alex Cora said he would get, which is good. But now all of a sudden you have a little bit of a log jam in your infield because Christian Arroyo gets sat, but you really don't want to sit him. You also don't want to put him in the outfield because that was a disaster earlier this year. So it's a nice problem to have, but it's also like, why are we having this problem in September? Like it, we're having this, you know, it's a good problem to have thing in September when the, when the team's in last place, it's just kind of a weird situation. Again, not the worst thing, but um, it does make me wonder what's the future hold for Christian Arroyo on this team next year. And because Trevor Story's locked in, you've got him here for six years. He's here. So who knows what happens with Bogarts? Who knows what happens with Devers? We know that Casas is the first baseman of the future, but seeing Story come back, play awesome defense and hit power like you wanted him to do, it does make you wonder, like, what are they going to do with this infield next year? Because at this point, let's face it, you have to look for 2023. That Like, they're not doing anything this year. It's just kind of an interesting problem. But as far as Story is concerned, great to see him back. Great to see that the hand is healthy. And, you know, hopefully he has a monster September. So just to build up off of what you said with the fact that we have log jams and it feels like we just haven't really planned or prepared there have been so many times this year where I felt like we've just been asleep at the wheel. We're not making decisions when we should. We're giving people way too long of a leash. Um, there was one that Terry had mentioned a couple weeks ago when you brought it up a couple of times. Tom Pham is a guy that we could have had weeks ago, months ago, and we could have given up the same, if not maybe less, who knows, or more, who, whatever. The point being, we could have had Tom Pham way before the deadline. And that might have resolved some issues. Who knows? Maybe we win an extra game or an extra two games. Maybe we're not sitting seven and a half out. I mean, there's no way to know. But truthfully, I just feel I'm more and more along the lines of where Terry was at with the fact that we just we're not making the moves that we need to make until it's almost too late. And by then, yeah, you've made them and you can say, oh, but we made moves. Yeah, but you made them a month too late. You made this two months too late. So you're, you really are asleep at the wheel. There are teams out there that Seattle Mariners, that player goes down, boom, they're making an addition to boost the team. You know, it's not the prettiest names, but they're still doing something. We sit there for three, four weeks twiddling our thumbs. Oh, what should we do? What should we do? What should we do? What should we do? And then another two weeks go by and we're still sitting there like, ah, oh, well, maybe we should add somebody. Where have you been for six weeks? You know, so it's really frustrating. And, you know, the the Arroyo thing brings up an interesting question because, you know, I, I was quietly motioning with my hands in the air of Christian Arroyo, like, where'd the ball go? Where'd the ball go? And I hated that. That that just, that was an awful, awful memory that I don't want again. But keep him in the infield, I'm okay with that. But as Jason mentioned, a log jam. Jason. Yeah, and, and you brought up a great point of, like, the Seattle Manors you know, making a move when they had to. Ty France went on the IL. They're star first baseman and what did they do they traded for carlos santana well before the trade deadline like carlos santana mid-30s first baseman Kansas city gave him up for nothing and he helped them a lot now whether or not seattle you know makes the world series or does anything of consequence by this point forward who knows but 
like you, Tommy Pham, it, that's a great example. It's like the Red Sox could have made the Carlos Santana trade, except it was Tommy Pham, way before they actually did. And they just took too long. They took way too long. Seattle was proactive. They're like, nope, we got to get someone. And let's just go get Carlos Santana. Who knows? He may have nothing left in the tank, but hey, let's bring him to a winning situation. Maybe he helps. And he did. Tommy Pham could have been helping this team months ago, and they just waited too long. So kind of a side rant, you know, off the Arroyo story thing. But, like, it's just – it's so frustrating. Every time I hear – like, every time I see the Seattle Mariners, I'm like, yeah, they're still in it. You know why? Because they made a move when they had to. And the Red Sox didn't. But, anyway, it you know, again, side tangent off the story, Arroyo thing, but – it's it still bothers me. I've pointed this out a couple of times this year, at least. But the Red Sox have never had a miracle second half to get into the playoffs. They either win by a mile and cruise right in, or we're just barely hanging on and we we limp in. It's never it's never because of a late surge, and. Uh, you know, last year was our only appearance in the one game wild card in that era. And, and last year was the 10th year. And we finally had to play that one game. And uh, fortunately, we won it. And 2017, the Yankees almost reeled us in for the division lead, but we get in. Um, there's never been a rally. So for Heim Bloom to sit there, twiddle his thumbs, like you guys just said. He's got to he's got to understand our history a little bit. We've just we've never made the run that he's hoping we're going to have. And uh, as our resident defense Red Sox defense attorney Andrew uh, will point out on some shows, is that we've been injured this year. And a guy like Trevor Story, he's going to have a full spring training. Probably not have poop, food poisoning this time. Probably not have the vaccine dilemma again. Um, so perhaps next year we finally get the, the Trevor story we were hoping to get. I will also point out that another team that's been badly injured all year long has been the Tampa Bay race. And they just suffered a blow by losing McClanahan for a little while, uh, at least two to four weeks with a shoulder impingement. And, and you're still kind of hoping for the best because you never know with a shoulder. Uh, they haven't had Wander Franco for a while. I know they've, uh, I, I don't know if it was Brandon Lau, but they, they've been missing quite a few players on and off, but they find ways to win. The Red Sox have not found those ways. And with Bloom specifically, I just wonder if he was read the riot act in some point in July, like early July, he's like, all right, if we miss the playoffs, we miss the playoffs. And maybe even ownership you know, was like, well, if we miss the playoffs, we miss the playoffs. But once the media just started eviscerating this team. I think ownership's tune changed. And I think within the last week, Heim's strategy at the deadline probably changed too. He had, he probably had an idea of some moves he was going to make. And then he just simply wasn't allowed to make them because ownership is like, we need to try to salvage this. So just my theory on that. But with Trevor story, I'm happy to see it. 
I was a big Trevor Story guy. If he has an off year next year, if he's injured again, I'm going to be eating the most crow on this podcast, uh, you know, in regards to Story. And I will do that. I will hold myself accountable. But he was a guy I wanted all winter long, and I, I was thrilled to get him. And been a little bit of a disappointment, but, you know, there have been some issues he's had to deal with. So any uh, more thoughts on any of that before we move on? Nope, that's pretty much it. Like I said, I hope he's healthy because that's going to be the key. All right, number three on the weekend top five is going to be Chris. Uh, excuse me, <laughs> I don't know how I almost flubbed that. It's going to be Brian Bayo, who notched his first career win in the big leagues. Hasn't been a, a great start for him. Uh, you know, he's been dinged up a little bit. He uh, had to face a couple lefty heavy lineups uh, with Tampa in his first two starts. So it, it sounds like he, it feels like he's he's really starting to get his bearings. And this Texas team, they have some bats. They have some bats that can do some damage. It's really been their pitching that has, um, you know, led to their underperformance and a very clean game. He he gave up zero runs uh, in the six innings he pitched. Only walked one. He was in command the whole time. Not one single base runner got past second base. And then to to end the game, uh, well, to end his his outing, I should say, in the sixth inning, he had to face the heart of their order. And he got Corey Seager to ground out. He got uh, Nate, Nate Lowe to... Um, he struck him out and then Adolis Garcia also lined out. So that, that was a good test. And the nice thing to see about him. And I, I don't, I hope I'm not jinxing him. Cause I said this about Winkowski early on, which I was dead wrong about. It's good to see him kind of settling down, calming down and, and honing in on, on what he needs to do. Doesn't seem rattled. And the Red Sox pitching program is pinned on Brian Bayo. If Brian Bayo fails, this is a murder indictment for the Red Sox pitching program because they haven't really developed anyone. I, I think maybe you, you can start to say Tanner Houck is the exception, even if he is only a reliever. But um, And he's out for the rest of the year with back surgery, by the way, said to be... Um, good to go for spring is, is what the expectation is. But I think it was due to a herniated disc and he was pitching fine. Like, and then just out of nowhere, he's on the injured list. But anyway, good start by Bayo. And I hope, I, I don't know if they're concerned with his innings limits, but there should be enough time for four or five more starts if they want to start him. And I hope they do. So Jason thoughts on Bayo. Yeah, color me impressed. Um, he he was awesome, and he's been pretty good his last couple of starts. And this is a guy when he first came up. I you know my my initial thoughts. I said it on this podcast. I, I wasn't sure he was ready. Thought, man, you, you called him up too soon, and he's getting hammered by Tampa, just putting all lefties out there. He got exposed. He looked like a deer in the headlights. Um, fast forward to this weekend. 
is it, it was a 180. He, he looked like he belonged on the major league stage, you know, pumping his fist after a couple of innings and, you know, rightfully so. Um, it was nice to see that emotion from him because that to me is a sign of a guy who like knows that, yeah, okay, I got this now. Like I figured it out. I know how to pitch to, to big league hitters. Cause like you said, Terry, this Texas lineup, it's not bad. The Texas Rangers are a bad team, but not because of that lineup. They've got some real hitters. Seager, Simeon, Jonah Heim, Adolis Garcia, like they can hit. So for Brian Bayer to go out there and hold that lineup down the way he did, uh, it was really impressive. And I just, I like that. I like his confidence. I like his swagger on the mound. And yeah, he's, he's going to be really interesting to watch going forward because like you said, when's the last time the Red Sox really developed a starting pitcher? It's been forever. I mean, Clay Buckles, you know, it was the last one. If you want to include Tanner Houck, you can, but who knows what his future is going to be. I mean, the guy's going in for back surgery. Ask Tiger Woods how that works out. It's it's tough. So, um, yeah, you better hope Brian Bayo works out. And so far, it looks like he's he's getting there. He's figuring it out. He's figuring out how to pitch on the major league level. And it's just a huge development for this Red Sox pitching staff because that rotation next year, it's up in the air. I mean, Chris Sale, yeah, he'll be there in some capacity, but who knows? We don't know. We don't know what's going to happen with Nathan Avaldi. We don't know what's going to happen with, um, you know, Michael Waka. Rich Hill's probably going to retire. Um, like you said, Tanner Houck having back surgery. Whether or not he'll be a closer or a starter when he comes back. Garrett Whitlock, are they going to stretch him out over the winter or not? Who knows? So for Brian Bayo to be making these steps right now is actually really important and. Generally, I would say that September baseball for a last place team, you know, not all that important. But when it comes to a young starter who is basically right now, he's trying to make the case for I'm in the 2023 starting rotation. I belong there. That's what Brian Bayo should be going out there. And that's the attitude he should be pitching with. So if he proves it and, you know, he convinces the Red Sox he belongs there, I'm all for it. So I'd love to see more starts like this. Keep stretching him out. Keep developing him. And hopefully he's a part of your future going forward. Real quick, before we get to Charlie's uh, take here, um, the Rangers had at least four lefties in their lineup uh, against Bayo. Uh, two of them are, are the ones I noted, um, Nathan Lau and Corey Seager, Cole Calhoun, Say what you want about him. He's an all-or-nothing guy, but still a lefty. And um, Valoria, Valoria, excuse me, their starting catcher, also a lefty. So Texas seemed to try to follow the, the Tampa model, and Bayo was fine against the lefties. So um, a, a really important step when you're talking about progress. So, Charlie, your thoughts on Bayo? Couldn't have been more impressed just to kind of follow what Jason said. Uh, this is the deepest he's gone to a game. Again, it was the Rangers, but you know what? You still got to throw six innings, and that's not always the easiest thing to do when you are a starting pitcher in baseball. Uh, very seldomly do you see a guy that can go six, seven innings. You got the Sandy Alcantara's 
who uh, I actually got to see live, shut down, just absolutely worked the Dodgers through 100 miles an hour in the ninth inning and through a complete game against the Los Angeles Dodgers. I mean, that's a two testament to two things. One, you're a baller. Two, your bullpen is garbage that they don't trust anybody in that bullpen to come in and give you that give you that save so they can get that W. So he came in and shut the whole thing down. Brian Bayo has still not given up a home run all year. I think that's one of the statistics that we're just not talking as much about. Um, that's okay. This is also the first game that Brian Bayo has been involved in with the Red Sox that we have won. Every single game that Brian Bayo has been in, we have lost. Not saying it's his fault. What I am saying, though, is that we have not given this young man an opportunity to win a game until September 3rd. His first start was, was excuse me, July 6th. It's been almost two months that we've given him a quality team behind him. He knew coming in he was going to be doing a whole boatload of mop-up duty. We get it. Yeah, that's fact. But now he's coming in, he is making a case for, I deserve to be in the starting rotation. Give me a shot. Give me a shot. And two of his last three performances, i got nothing bad to say. You faced Toronto in one of them. You struck out seven in five innings. You allowed two earned runs there. And you faced Minnesota. Not as great of an appearance, but I'll take two out of three right now. For somebody that's been in Major League Baseball for five minutes, give me Brian Bayo all day. I know that I was not a huge fan of bringing him up this year. I'll be the first one to admit it. I didn't want to see Bayo. I didn't want to see Casas. I didn't want to see either one of them this year because what are we playing for? But you know what? There's no pressure. There's absolutely no pressure to have these guys play. So why not? And Bayo impressed everybody. So good on him. Well, all right. Uh, let's see how we're doing on time here. Not bad, actually. All right. So in the two hole, Charlie, that's your spot. Who's number two on the list? Two for us, we have Rafael Devers. Um, I'm a huge Rafael Devers fan. I know when Jason and I were trying to figure out who, who does who, I said, you know, I, Jason, if, if you want to take the next person because I've not been so nice to him all year, I have a lot more nice things to say about number two, which is Rafael Devers. Six for 15 in the series, two singles, four doubles, five RBIs. Five runs scored, only three strikeouts, two of which happened in the first game. Um, didn't really do anything in the fourth game. That was okay. You're still doing your job, man. Uh, six for an 11 in the first three games, you're doing great. Um, there was some cause for concern for Rafael Devers because he just did not seem comfortable. Um, it still kind of felt like he had that tweak in his back, uh, whatever injury it was now. It feels like it, I think it was a back injury. Um, just couldn't get it right. And it just was one thing after another. And finally he's back up to normal and I'm super happy about it because all the things are starting to click. Bayo's doing well. Devers is, is starting to hit again. Story is back. This is starting to look like a formidable team. It doesn't look like a triple A team. So credit to Devers for having a crazy good week and, uh, looking forward to seeing more of that. Yeah, this was very important for Rafael Devers to get back on track in the month of September because in August, he hit 163. He had a horrific August. Um, one of the worst months we've ever seen from him. Um, you know, a ton of strikeouts. He was just whiffing. It, it was weird to see him just lost a little bit at the plate. Like, it wasn't like he ran into bad luck, you know, you know, 
it wasn't like he was getting Frenchy Cordero, as the Illuminati would like to say. Oh, he's hitting the ball really hard. It's just bad luck. No, he was just whiffing. Um, to see him picking it back up now that the calendar has turned, I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's just he was just going through a rough slump or, you know, whatever, and something woke him up. But he's awake now, and it's great. It's great to see him back driving the ball the way he's used to doing. And, again, like, this is a guy who's – he's the core of your offense. He's he's a really important guy, and another guy who's going to have a lot of eyes on him in the offseason, you know, in terms of what his future holds and what the team decides to do with him, how the team values him. Um, we've already seen – sort of how they value him and it's not very good. So hopefully that changes. Hopefully we don't have another Mookie bet situation on our hands, but this guy's the real deal when he's locked in. Yeah. He might slump for a little bit, but when he's locked in, he's one of the best left-handed hitters in baseball. And, and you can't deny that. So um, pay the man, pay the man for the love of God, pay the man. But you know, as, as for right now, just nice to see him break out of the slump and get back to doing what he's used to doing. So Devers, it just seems like when the team's playing well and locked in, so is he when the team's not, he's just not quite as locked in or maybe I don't know if dialed in is a better term, but when Devers is just trying to put the ball in play, he's the toughest out in major league baseball. He's just so hard to get out. He he can shoot the ball all over the field. And I think when the team's doing poorly, like I said, it's like he tries to do too much. He He's trying to hit it over the fence to get things going rather than just be simple about it. And he's tied for second right now in the American League uh, with doubles. Only Jose Ramirez is ahead of him, and that's only by two. So he's got a real shot here to lead the American League. If he really goes nuts, Freddie Freeman is uh, right in front of him. Uh, Not right in front of him. Is six in front of him. So probably be a little tough to reel in Freddie, who's having one of the better years of his career. Ironically, right behind Freddie in doubles uh, is Matt Olson. So they're both mirroring each other, uh, except for when it comes to batting average and on base, but from a power standpoint, those two are almost in lockstep with each other. It's crazy. But um, but Devers is just getting it done, and hopefully he has a loud month. I mean, there's probably no player I'm rooting for right now more than Devers because that extension has to get done, and he's got a handful of games to, to try to force Bloom's hand. I still think ownership won't survive the PR hit uh, if it doesn't get done. So that, that gives me confidence that it will, but Jason, go ahead. So let me ask you this. If Raphael Devers does not get signed to an extension this off season, is that a fireable offense for Ian Bloom? I would say so. And the other interesting thing is if Devers doesn't agree to an extension, can Bloom trade him? 
I mean, you almost have to, but there's just yeah. there's so much there's so much at stake in terms of the the narrative for the organization. Like, I just I I don't see. And the frustrating thing here, as I've pointed out ad nauseum, is if that extension does happen, Hein Bloom's going to pay at least a hundred million more than what he would have paid not this previous winter, but the winter before. That's how much more Devers is going to cost. It's going to start with a three. They're gonna they're gonna say Austin Riley, Austin Riley, Austin Riley, who signed for around two hundred and ten million. But sorry that. That deal was two years ago if they wanted to do it. But Charlie, any thoughts on this? Yeah, it's going to hurt no matter what. Um, but the fact that he's doing this, if if he does not re-sign in Boston, Rafa Devers isn't going to be remembered for not re-signing in Boston. Chaim Bloom will be remembered as the GM that failed to do the one thing he was supposed to do in the amount of time that he was here. If he does not re-sign Rafael Devers, Heim Bloom is great as an F for everything that he's done in 2022. And the 2023 year hasn't even started yet, and it's still going to be an F. Regardless of what you bring in and what gets upgraded, if you don't re-sign the one core piece of this team for your foreseeable future, you're literally showing your fans we're trying to win sometimes, but not completely. Regardless of what you say, that expression, actions speak louder than words, could not be more true. If you don't re-sign Devers, you failed. And you should be fired. It was the easiest thing to get right last winter. It was the easiest thing. How stressful was that Trevor Story pursuit in the end? It was ridiculous. Pr- pretty like hard. It, it, yeah, I mean, it didn't even have to go on that long, you know? This is the thing. Like, we're sitting there twiddling our thumbs. We've said this multiple times on the show before. The Red Sox didn't take 2022 seriously because they overperformed in 2021. Had the Red Sox not done what they did in 2021, we would have been a lot more aggressive because aesthetically, that's what need, that's what needed to happen. If visually we're not looking like we're running around with our heads cut off, what are we doing? So the the front was almost we i mean fans were blinded everyone thought that the team going into 2022 was going to be fine no you just got trevor story you saw five or six question marks and some of those question marks that we had at the beginning of the year we're still having now chris sale for example what kind of chris sale are we going to get back we have no idea he's barely pitched in the last two years five years so you know right you know i just it's it's brutal it's brutal all right, there's one player left in the number one spot. Jason, who is it? Yeah, another guy who we're going to be talking about a lot this offseason, depending on what happens, but it's Xander Bogarts. He was the number one guy this weekend, and he's been on an absolute tear lately. So this weekend, nine for 16, a couple of extra base hits. Um, he's just been on fire lately, and – I still wonder if that weird section of the Illuminati who all of a sudden decided they hate Xander Bogarts because they don't think that their brilliant GM can sign him. I wonder if you still hate him. Do you still hate him? Because he looks pretty good to me. 
yeah, we, we, we still hate Xander Bogarts because, oh, how dare he ask for more money? I don't know. Looks pretty good to me. Now, that being said, you know, we'll, we'll get into the contract talk another day because, you know, that's an offseason topic. But whether or not he's worth 28, 27, what have you. But lately, he's been tearing it up. He's been your best hitter through late August into September. And he's been carrying this team offensively. He's been good defensively this year. I, again, I know the Illuminati don't want to hear that. But yes, Sander Bogarts can actually play shortstop. I know it's shocking to the Illuminati. But yes, he can actually play shortstop. He's not an old man out there. You know, he's not Chuck Knobloch at shortstop. He's actually pretty good. He's actually pretty good. So he's just been tearing it up. He's been on fire. And again, I, I think at this point, the team is out of it. Guys like Bogarts, Devers, you know, they all know it. They, they know it. They know they don't have a shot to get back into the playoffs. It would take a miracle. So I think at this point, Xander is on a pay my ass kind of tour. This, this is Xander just every time he's at the plate, he's just going, pay me, pay me, because this is what I can do. And you look at all the offensive categories, he's near the top when it comes to shortstops in the American League and MLB in general. So it's just the, the whole concept of, well, you shouldn't pay Xander Bogarts because he's actually not that good. That the the Bloom people are trying to push is ridiculous. This guy's still a core part of your team. He's one of the faces of your franchise. And I'm sorry if he's not paid this offseason. I I'm starting to think I'd put that in the same category as not paying Rafael Devers. That's a fail. That's an F for your GM because I think. Unlike Mookie Betts, and I know the Red Sox screwed that up along the way, but unlike Mookie Betts, I think Xander Bogarts wants to be here. He wants to play in Boston. He wants to finish his career as a Boston Red Sox. That's it. I think Mookie Betts wanted to change the scenery. I think, again, the Red Sox poisoned the well with, you know, screwing him around with the contract talks, all that stuff, but... Unlike Mookie, I just I, I think Xander wants to be the guy here. And he's proving it every time he goes out there. Yes, I know he's not the most vocal guy. It's tough to paint him as the quote unquote leader of the clubhouse because of that, but he just he's such a consistent hitter. He's such a consistent player. I don't know how you don't bring this guy back. So again, another guy that we're gonna have eyes on this offseason. Hopefully something gets done there because otherwise you're going to watch him playing for another team and you're going to really regret it, just like you are with Mookie right now. So pay this guy, keep him here, please, because at this point, like, why else wouldn't you? Charlie? I, I, um, I don't know if I can get I, I, it's not intentional that I agree with Jason 90% of the time with 10%. I have a different opinion on it. I'm with Jason on a lot of what he just said. Xander Bogarts was the only player that got two hits or more in each game. Xander Bogarts is the only player that hit over 500 and did that kind of damage. Scored five runs. 
walked a couple times, had six singles and three doubles. That's okay that you're not hitting home runs. We're not scaring anybody with the home run ball. That's just not our thing. The one thing that I'm starting to agree with is that maybe he does want to finish out his career in Boston. The one thing I, the only thing, and this is why it's about 95% agree instead of 90% agree today, is I don't think that not re-signing Xander Bogarts is the same thing as not re-signing Devers. I think Devers has to be your prime guy. Devers is five years younger. Devers can hit home runs and hit doubles. And who knows what the, what the defense is going to look like because he's still growing. Xander's not getting any younger. Xander's now on the, the wrong side of 25. I, I hear what you're saying. I like it. If Xander Bogarts does end up finishing his career here, right next to Rafi Devers, yeah, I'm going ahead and saying that you have one of the one of the better shortstop third baseman combo tandems in baseball. Are they the best? I don't know. I don't know if I can say that just yet. I'm curious to see if Rafael Devers can take a step up in his career. I'm curious to know if Xander Bogarts can revitalize his career by becoming at least like a instead of 50% power, maybe 75% power, because I take that. I take a 25-90 guy, because Xander Bogarts for a while looked like he was going to be a 10-50 guy. We know that Devers can hit 40. We know Devers can hit 100 RBIs. Can Xander do 25 and 100? I don't know. I just don't. And um, to your point, I am starting to get down with the idea that he does want to finish his, his career here in Boston. So I agree with you there. Devers will turn 30 years old next month. And you mean De- you mean Xander? Oh, yeah, that is exactly what I meant. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I was about to say. Yeah, oh, Devers is going to skip five years uh, next month. Yeah. No. Yeah. Um, so it's Xander Bogarts, yeah, turns 30 on October 2nd. So just under a month from now. It's hard to imagine that the Red Sox are going to give him a seven or eight year deal. I don't think that would be smart no matter what. Um, he, he'd he been fairly quiet until recently, really. The second part of July, not great. August, not great. Since, since the All-Star break, Bogarts has uh, just five home runs and uh, 26 runs batted in. That actually leads the team as, uh, you know, as underwhelming as that is. Nobody else has five home runs. Franchi Cordero and Bobby Dahlbeck both have four. Um, And nobody's really close to, in fact, nobody on the team is even above 20 runs batted in, aside from uh, Bogarts. Oh, excuse me. Wait a minute. No, yeah, Devers only 17 runs batted in since the all-star break. So, um, so yeah. So I I just, from a chemistry standpoint, I know uh, it's an unpopular thing to say, but, um, I think I just rather move on. (laughs) And I, I know that's, that's a brutal thing to say, but you still got an infield of Devers, Casas and story. And I think they can sign someone or, I mean, I wouldn't hate Arroyo playing half the year at shortstop. You probably need someone else because more than 100 games, you're asking a lot out of a guy like Arroyo. But um, 
Yeah, I mean, it's nice to see. He is tied at the moment with Luis Arise for the American League batting title. So he, he's got a lot of things going for him. And if these numbers go up, it's going to be even harder for the Red Sox to do it. Here's one interesting thing. Carlos Correa probably will opt out of his unique three-year deal that he signed. Xander Bogarts has a 26-game hitting streak at Target Field. Do the Twins kind of pull a fast one here? I mean, if Bo- if Scott Boris throws out seven at 175, do the Twins take it and just hope that everybody else signs for way more? See, I think one of the fatal mistakes that Texas made was they um, they signed Corey Seager at that massive cost, thinking it's fine because Correa is just going to get that much or more. One or two of the other guys are going to get that much or more. And so I don't know. I just wouldn't see the, the Twins to get overly, be surprised to see the Twins get overly aggressive for Bogarts. Yeah, um, I was thinking that during the Minnesota series because they kept bringing up Bogart's numbers at that ballpark, and they're ridiculous. He hits super well at at uh, at that at Target Field. So, and like you said, Correa's probably going to opt out. Like that's that's almost a given, I think, at this point. So, why not if if Correa opts out, and you know. Xander and the Red Sox, they haven't come to an agreement and he's still out there. What if Minnesota just comes over the top rope and says, hey, the Red Sox are only offering you 26. We'll give you 30. We'll give you 30 over five years. Come play here. You've got to, you know, your, your bat plays well here. You know that you love it here. You know, we're, we're kind of building something towards the future. Why not? Like the Red Sox have to keep that in mind. Like it's teams like that. It's not just going to be the Yankees and the Dodgers and the Padres and, you know, these big sort of money teams that are going to come over the top rope. It could be a team like Minnesota that just decides, Hey, all right, we lost Correa, but that freezes up to go after Xander. So they've got to keep that in mind. They got to be careful. And I just said, he's, Tied with Luis Arise for the AL batting title, how tantalizing would it be for Minnesota to have them both? <laughs> so we'll see. Any thoughts, it's, Charlie? It's interesting if that were to happen. I just, I don't even think he'd want to do that. You know, just kind of the the behavior that you've heard from Xander Bogarts, it's it's not going to be Minnesota. Who's in Minnesota that he's friends with? Xander Bogart strikes me more of a family guy. He strikes me as the, the dude who wants to hang out with other players of his caliber. No offense to Luisa Rise. No offense to anybody there. But Xander Bogart's going to Minnesota immediately makes him the best player on that team. And I don't think it's even close. He doesn't want to just be the guy. He wants to be one of the boys. And that allows, I mean, 
the Red Sox allow him to do that. There's less stress, there's less pressure, but there's more pressure or more stress. When you're in Minnesota, there's constant meaningless pressure. You're you're expected to do the most because you're gonna be the best player there. I think he's just that's like his anomaly. Like that's his one park that he just works. He just gets it there. It is what it is. Minnesota's not a crazy, crazy team. I mean, you have to think about Xander Bogarts has been hitting in Minnesota when they had nothing but bums in the rotation, nothing but bums in the bullpen. So there's that too. So I just can't see it happening. I don't think it's going to happen. Tantalizing, sure. It's going to happen? No. Well, I think if the Red Sox sign him, it's going to be a late signing, you know, close to February if the market comes down. But I just think too many teams are going to see Xander as the discount guy compared to a guy like Correa, and they're going to get aggressive early. Like we saw the the Tigers do it with Rodriguez. Like they didn't wait for his market to develop. They just pounced on him and that it worked out terribly. <laughs> Don't get me wrong, but but they identified him as someone they liked and, and they got aggressive. And I, I think a lot of teams have that guy that they just have to have. And I, I think Bogarts is gonna be on some of those short lists. Maybe I'm dead wrong and maybe Bloom has a gun to his head and gets it done the first week. But I I just, I don't know. So let's uh, just get into the uh, Tampa series. So uh, we just came off of a pretty decent one with Tampa. So, uh, and we know we're not going to be facing um, uh, Shane McClanahan and uh, certainly no Wander Franco in this uh, order. So, it's at the Trop game one on Monday. That's a 4-10 start. My apologies to anyone who doesn't have the day off. I do in your face. So Michael Waka versus uh, Luis Patino. Jason, thoughts? Yeah, I like the Red Sox in this one. Uh, Luis Patino was at one time, I think, considered one of the Rays' best pitching prospects. Um he kind of struggled in the minors this year. So had an ERA over four, uh, never really found his footing. He's been okay since he's been to the majors. He has faced the Red Sox twice. Um, not bad. I mean, two starts, you know, ERA, again, close to four. So um, he's a guy that relies on strikeouts. But if he can't get them, I don't know if he's as effective. Michael Walker has been, you know, just dynamite for the Red Sox all year. And I do like the Red Sox lineup a little bit better now that Costas is up. Um, you know, it, there's just a little bit more. It feels like the Red Sox lineup is gelling a little bit better. So I'm going to take the Red Sox in game one. I, I just think Waka holds it down, and I think this lineup can get to Patino. You're not going to hear anything different from me. It's going to be Waka for me. Um I think that there are other matchups that we have to be concerned about. Michael Waka seems to be just doing his thing. And when he's in, he is in. When he is on, he is on. There is just, you know, nothing you can really say that's bad about Waka. You're going to see him go six innings. He'll allow one, maybe two runs. He'll strike out six, seven guys. Basically what you've seen him do the last two appearances, six innings each game, six or seven strikeouts. He's picked up a win in both. Um, he won the last time that he was out against Tampa Bay. Uh, so there, there's that as well. And he won his first time against Tampa Bay. 
one was in Tampa, one was at Fenway. So he can do it in both places. I don't have that much faith in Patino. So socks up 1-0. I'm not going to disagree. I mean, would I be shocked if Patino holds us to nothing and it's a frustrating offensive game? I would not be shocked. But at face value, I have to take the Red Sox. Um you know, in game one, Patino is a righty that plays well for a guy like Casas, who's a lefty hitter. So, um, you know, that's another thing that could give the Red Sox a little bit of an edge. I'll also point out in case I forget the Rays are getting 20 something thousand people into the stadium right now. So, um, you know, maybe, uh, maybe there's some, uh, more local interest and we won't seem like the home team, uh, you know, playing down there. Game 2, 6.40, a, a weird start time for a Tuesday. That's Rich Hill versus Drew Rasmussen. It's a hell of a last name to try to spell. I'm sure their fans on Twitter get it wrong all the time. Red Sox fans never figured out how to spell Buckholtz. So Rasmussen, a little bit worse. But anyway, Jason, how do you have uh, Game 2? Yeah, I'm going to give game two to Tampa. Um, Jerome Rasmussen pitches really well against the Red Sox. Um, He's faced you six times. Four of them are starts. ERA under three. Um, He's always kind of held this lineup in check. And I'm sorry, I'm not buying into the Rich Hill resurgence. Uh, You know, I know his last couple of starts have been really good. I know that, you know, he struck out 11 guys not not all that long ago. I, I just... I can't, I can't buy into it. It's still Rich Hill. I'm amazed this guy is still making starts for you at this stage in the season. I thought for sure that he would be either out of the rotation or, you know, a stretch guy, or he would have been traded. But that's the way the season's gone. He's still here. He's making important starts for you. Um, I just think Rasmussen's a better pitcher, and I'm not a big Rich Hill guy. So I'm going to take Tampa for game two. See, Hill was supposed to get traded when Paxton and Sale came back. <laughs> so, oh, yeah, uh, I forgot. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, the two best deadline acquisitions, Chris Sale and James Paxton. Yeah, exactly. about that. Whoops. Charlie, who you got? Uh, I, I was motioning like, yep, Jason, that's two. That's two. I, I, you can't go against Rasmussen right now. Um, I thought what Rich Hill did was absolutely adorable, but – I don't believe I have to look back at this. I don't think that he's ever lost against the Red Sox either. Rasmussen doesn't have that many career L's anyways. He's one to know against the Red Sox in four starts, six games. He's striking out almost one an inning. He's a sub three ERA, just like Jason mentioned. I don't really have any like warm, fuzzy feelings for the Red Sox in this game. So give me Rasmussen in this one. It's going to be tied up one, one after, after uh, two. I also have to agree with you guys. Uh, Hill didn't look great, though, in game one against Texas. Only went four innings, gave up four earned runs, walked four. So after that brilliant outing, you know, seemed to have fallen on his face. Um, Drew Rasmussen uh, nearly had not only a no-hitter, but a perfect game and lost it. Uh, One out into the ninth inning. I don't know if that was against Anaheim or um, Miami, but 
very impressive performance. And maybe this year is his coming out party. You know, I don't think anyone thought Blake Snell was going to be this great pitcher and uh, certainly not a Cy Young guy, but he ended up winning one with Tampa. Hasn't fared so well out on the West Coast, but but perhaps Rasmussen could be another one of their sneaky Cy Young guys in the coming years if, if McClanahan doesn't win it. Not that he would be a sneaky guy because he looks like he's a future $300 million a year player, but... Um, but yeah, I I can't take Rich Hill uh, in that game and and say it with a straight face. So give me Tampa for that one. Uh, to be determined for the Red Sox on Wednesday versus Jeffrey Springs, who we laughed when we traded and got their fourteenth ranked prospect, thinking, ha ha, we just gave you Jeffrey Springs for that guy. Jokes on us. Springs has been pitching very well. Um, 262 ERA on the season. And um, I don't know who the Red Sox are going to pitch because Bayo would be one day short. We just pitched Winkowski. Crawford's going on the injured list. I don't know. It's Austin Davis isn't here anymore to start the spot start. So... Um, yeah, Jason, how do you, uh, I'm just going to say it right now. I think that's an L. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. This one's going to be an L because, uh, I, I foresee a Caleb Orts opener for this one for the Red Sox or something stupid like that. So, um, I, yeah, I, I can't imagine that they're going to bring in anybody or call up anybody that's going to make me change my mind. Jeffrey Springs is having a good year too. Um, sub three ERA and he's, you know, I, I actually was, uh, very impressed with him the other night when he made Josh Donaldson look like a punk ass bitch. Like he is, you know, struck him out on fastballs after Donaldson was, uh, trash talking him. So Springs has a little bit of that in him. Um, again, the Red Sox traded him away. They traded him away for Ronaldo Hernandez, a catcher who hasn't really done much. So yay. That's another good one. Thanks. Good trade. Um, could have used Jeffrey Springs in this rotation this year, but that's okay. At least we got a catcher who's not going to do anything. Um, yeah, Springs is good. He's He's been great, and I think that he's going to get the win on this one. Again, I I just foresee a Caleb Ort opener or something like that because I don't think the Red Sox have anything left to call up that's going to be anything better. So I'll take Tampa in game three. Sweep it. Uh, yeah. I mean, I remember when we got rid of Jeffrey Springs, we're like, oh my God, that guy with a seven or eight ERA. Goodbye. Onward. And, uh, Tampa Bay just, they, they're so good at turning trash into gold. It's unbelievable what that team can do. That entire organization is a, is a pitching factory. If you're broken, you go to Tampa Bay, they will fix you. It's incredible. So I'm actually really happy for him. His last game against the Yankees was was great. And Jason, you were talking about that where he Donaldson was John at him. And I think Springs was the one that looked at him. He goes, I struck you out on three straight fastballs. Like count them three strikes. Like, shut up. Just be quiet. And um, yeah, I just priceless. That that will go down as probably that's gonna go down there. Not as epic as Runet Odor punching Jose Bautista, but just like shutting it up like Donaldson, who's very, 
I don't even think quickly. I think he's one of the most hated players in all of baseball, kind of like our former catcher, A.J. Krasinski. Just no one likes him. And I, I think Donaldson's the same way. He's just been involved with too many situations. And that thing earlier this year with, with calling one of the Chicago White Sox players Jackie, and that's just kind of taken on a life of its own. And he did this. You want to be the villain? Congratulations. You are that. So I will also take, I already said, I'm going to take Springs in that matchup. So two to one Tampa. We all agreed on all three matchups. We will be back uh, tomorrow for Totally Legit or Calling the Cops. Everyone have a great Monday if you had it off. Take care.